Right, Thompson? I like to think of the greatest of all time uh, as if they belong to like an actual club. Like they all hang out with each other. They have takes. And one of the takes I imagine they have most ferociously is that we are all biased towards recency. Yes. You know, I mean, that's the thing they always are shocked at is how fast people forget. It was actually like 10 years ago this month, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina with Michael Jordan. I was writing a story about him about to turn 50 and we're sitting around his condo watching basketball and like watching SportsCenter. And there was some debate about who was the GOAT, Montana or Brady. And at this time, Montana had more Super Bowls. And Jordan was like apoplectic. He was like, watch, watch, they're gonna say Brady because they don't remember Montana. In his head, you just sub out LeBron for Brady and Jordan for Montana. You could tell exactly what he was thinking about, but it was just... Absolutely. It just galled him, you know, oh, how quickly they forget. All glory is fleeting. No, I just love the idea of an extremely triggered Michael Jordan inviting himself onto every ESPN television show to yell about someone else's GOAT debate because having to remind America who Joe Montana is feels like the ultimate personal indignity. And also, by the way, because I think a lot of Americans actually do need reminding at this point. There's this funny story his friends tell. A family friend coaches college volleyball and was playing San Francisco City College. And so Joe went to the game and, you know, there weren't that many people in the stands. And then it sort of starts getting passed around social media that Joe Montana is at this volleyball game. And, you know, all of a sudden the dads are very interested in showing up. So now the place is packed. (laughs) The dads, instead of taking pictures of their own children playing volleyball, are taking pictures of Joe Montana because he's cheering and pumping his fist, which is, you know, uh, very famous for people of a certain age Correct. in Francisco. <laughs> and during a break in between, during the match, one of the visiting players goes up to her coach and is like, where did all these people come from? And the coach said, I think that's my fault. I uh, I, I invited uh, a very famous friend of mine, Joe Montana, and you know, a wave of recognition washed over the young athlete. And she said, Oh, that's so cool. Hannah Montana's dad is here. (laughs) Look, all of this makes me want to yell at children myself, honestly. I mean, these are kids in San Francisco, right? This is absurd that they would not respect Joe Montana, now age 66. But wait, how does Montana himself personally feel about all of this, about wanting to correct the record at this point? You know, he certainly wants to be remembered, and that's a pretty new thing, I think, for him. You know, I think for a long time he didn't mm. care. You know, his wife, Jennifer, describes him, uh, you know, as being a guy who's had to learn how to be content, and it has been a long road. One of the things that's so interesting is that, like, bitterness is so common to great athletes, it's really only newsworthy when it's absent. You know, I mean, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, I mean, like one guy after another, it's like a death. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard Joe Montana's Hall of Fame speech. No. Dude, it's unbelievable. He literally says, I feel like I'm in my own funeral and I can hear the dirt hitting my casket. 
I saw the Hall of Fame as an ending point. I mentioned to a couple people that in some ways I felt like while I'm only 44 years old, I feel like I'm being in my, I'm in my grave, in my coffin alive, and they're putting, throwing dirt on me, and I can feel it, and I'm trying to get out. It's unbelievably honest. And, and I think that that's a universal thing for these guys. If you want to talk about losing things, ideas of glory and legacy, you know, Joe Montana isn't a person to talk to. He's the person. If Super Bowl Sunday is America's most beloved holiday, the holiday that the greatest and most famous quarterbacks in the sport have all spent their lives dreaming about winning, it does feel like Joe Montana is a bit like the ghost of Christmas past. Like, Montana is the man Tom Brady grew up idolizing. He is the guy whose nickname, Joe Burrow, has quietly plagiarized. He is the icon whose accolades, four championships, three Super Bowl MVPs, Patrick Mahomes is now actively trying to surpass. But today, Wright Thompson takes us behind the scenes and inside the feelings of Joe Montana, whose present life offers an important clue about a superstar's future. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Wednesday, February 8th, and this is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, right, Thompson, I'm looking at the list of profiles that you've constructed. There's Michael Jordan. There's Tiger Woods. There's Pat Riley. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. I think people get the drift. But Joe Montana... Four-time Super Bowl champion, the defining figure of my childhood when it comes to the NFL. How would you begin to describe, to explain, really, for, yes, the young people out there, what it meant to watch Joe Montana and what his greatness really entailed? He was the original comeback kid. You know, the the guy with the two-minute drive. The guy was going to take him down the field to win. Those deep balls to Jerry Rice that just seemed to sort of hang in the air forever. The throw is to Rice. Touchdown. Even his jersey, you know, came to represent not just greatness, but like perfection, excellence, uh, being a winner. No, Joe Montana was the template. He was the template for all of those guys that we call clutch and all of these things. He was the guy that they were imitating. He was Brady's childhood hero. I mean, I saw some photographs on the internet yesterday of Brady wearing a number 16 jersey 
you know, throwing a ball in the parking lot of Candlestick. I mean, that, that's not, that wasn't just him. Everybody wanted that 16 jersey. Joe Montana came on the field. You believed he was going to win. Yeah, well, let's let's rewind even further back, though, because Joe Montana, for those who are unfamiliar, comes from where? Joe Montana is from Monongahela, Pennsylvania, which I think I'm pronouncing correctly. It's not exactly a big city is what it sounds like. No, he is uh, about 45 minutes south of Pittsburgh. But when I'm imagining that small town and little Joe Montana, I'm imagining what? Exactly. How was he perceived even back then? Well, you know, he ran afoul of his high school football coach. Joe didn't want to participate in this coach's beloved off-season workout program because Joe wanted to play basketball because he was a really, really, really good basketball player. And, you know, the coach tried to start someone else until finally he realized that uh, he had Joe Montana on the sideline his coach has got him Chuck Abramsky and you know, he has coach on his tombstone. You know, this was his whole identity and you know, almost felt bad for the guy. Cause he, you know, he just was stubborn and he ended up hating Joe forever and would always talk trash about him and newspaper stories. Joe doesn't ever go back there. You know, there's not a lot for him back there. When you follow Joe then to college, because he ends up, at Notre Dame, which is at this point, the school, like the power in college football, right? And the way he is treated there, the way they scout him, how different is that from the fraught dynamic you just described um, in high school? In 1977, the year that Joe Montana led Notre Dame to a national championship, Dan Devine had him at third string when the season started. Joe Montana's entire career is proof that, like, coaches are totally interchangeable because (laughs) all all of these guys had the greatest of all time on their roster and were trying to play other people. And in Joe's entire career, people tried to replace him. I mean, he goes to the 49ers, wins two Super Bowls, and then they trade for Steve Young. I mean, there's this hilarious story that uh, Mike Lombardi, you know, who's a, a... sort of a thinker and commentator now about the NFL, but was an executive for a long time, was in the room. He worked for the 49ers when Bill Walsh said, should we trade for Steve Young? And they all went around the circle and everyone said no. And then Walsh sort of said, "Uh, well, uh, Mike, you need to go to the airport and pick up Steve Young because we've already done it. (laughs) So Montana, at every single place he went, High school, college, and the 49ers, there was a coach trying to take his thing away from him. Well, the obvious question now is why? (laughs) Like, how is it that everybody at every level kept on wanting to trade away the guy that we just revered as, yes, a goat? No one in football knows how to evaluate a quarterback. And being able to evaluate a quarterback is the secret to success. It's the whole thing. And so it just makes me laugh when you look at, you know, these guys talk about all these hours they work and, you know, they destroy all their families. And, you know, this they're in these offices 18 hours a day, 365 days a year. And it's just all an enormous waste of time because no one 
knows how to do the actual thing you need to know how to do to be successful, which is figure out who's going to be a good quarterback. Nobody has any idea. No, like all of these coaches who work in the quarterback's business, they did not realize that arguably the best one ever was on their own team. Like this isn't Michael Jordan's sob story about getting cut from the varsity. This is, yeah, Montana's high school coach not wanting him at first. This is his college coach not playing him and then winning a title when he did. And then after all of that, even when it was time for the NFL draft in 79, Joe Montana does not get drafted until the third round after three other quarterbacks and 81 players in total get chosen before him. One of the things that's interesting is, uh, you know, his wife says now all of those neural pathways have hardened. Mm. He is the person who is forever being doubted. She talks about how that's just hardwired into him now. It's interesting you brought up Jordan because Jordan's thing is sort of fake. Right. You know, Jordan was inventing straw men to then burn. And Joe's wasn't. <laughs> I mean, it was very, very real. They, they were trying to they were trying to take his shit away from him. Well, it's interesting because the straw man is not a straw man. It is it is a man named Steve Young, I guess, is the personification of all of this. And it starts with management that you just alluded to, right? Bill Walsh, George Seifert. But let's let's relive this, right? Because to recap here, Joe Montana is the quarterback of the 80s, okay? He wins his first Super Bowl in 1981. He wins three more, and he's the guy. And then the Steve Young thing you just alluded to starts to happen. Explain what unfolds and why this is unfolding with a competitor now underneath the guy who had just won four of these things. Well, it, the thing that's, that's incredible that they did was they had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks on the roster. I mean... That would be like Bill Belichick after Tom Brady won two or three Super Bowls going and signing Peyton Manning. Joe Montana had a younger, more athletic, future Hall of Famer nipping at his heels for years and fought him off. I mean, it, 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 that part's fascinating because uh, until he got hurt and then the coaches decided they just wanted to end this thing once and for all and move on, like he never lost. Like he, every time somebody tried to get him off the field, he won. No, it took six years and an injury for Montana to finally lose out to Steve Young. And this was after Montana won two Super Bowls in 88 and 89. And the next season was ahead in the NFC Championship game against the Giants when he got leveled by Leonard Marshall and knocked out of the game. Here's Montana, long time in the pocket. Still on his hands and knees. I'll tell you, that is the one we know about Joe Montana. We know about his back, and he really took a shot in that back. And he's never really the same after that. I mean, he comes back. It's the 91 preseason. He has to fight a tendon injury in his throwing elbow that ultimately required surgery, which then knocked him out of the 91 season entirely, most of 92 after that. And while I imagine that this injury finally made things pretty clear for George Seifert, who was then the head coach of the Niners, I am guessing Joe Montana did not exactly see it that way. You know, he got hurt, and the team didn't want him to be uh, at the facility when the team was in the locker room because, you know, that was his team. And how is Steve Young supposed to lead a team when 
the other guy is still there who everybody looks up to. And he felt really excluded. It still pisses him off. You know, like, why wasn't I allowed to be at the facility? Why wasn't I allowed to dress for games? You know, you let Steve Young compete for my job for six years. Why can't I compete with him? That was the big thing, is that that after fighting him off all those years, not getting a chance to compete for it. His last game in San Francisco, uh, it's the last regular season game in, I think, 1992. He goes in to mop up for Steve Young, and uh, the last play is supposed to be a running play, and uh, he ended up throwing a touchdown pass. Go to Lee for the touchdown. And he was told later that Seifert slammed his headset down on the ground after he did it. Because, you know, he, all he's trying to do is avoid another quarterback controversy. And you have the most popular person in San Francisco showing everybody that he still got it. And then he goes to Kansas City. You know, people forget the Chiefs played the 49ers head-to-head, Montana against Young, and Montana won. Montana kept it. Stopped. Touchdown, Valerio. Right. The Chiefs thing, it's important to remember this too because it gets cast again like, uh, here's a sad picture of a once great quarterback wearing a far sadder jersey. But it wasn't necessarily that. No, when he was with the Chiefs in the first year, they had a legitimate shot at winning the Super Bowl. You know, and he got knocked out of the. Uh, AFC Championship game. An emerging star for Kansas City and Montana. Hit as he throws. I think Bruce Smith got it. Bruce Smith staying over in two. Bruce Smith describes getting to Joe and trying to talk to Joe, and Joe can't understand English, and that's when he got worried. I mean, this was an era when quarterbacks got hit all of the time, got hit hard really regularly and that longevity that we know now of you know tom brady or peyton manning or aaron Rodgers, that was almost unfathomable at this time which is yeah which is why joe montana wound up playing one more year for the chiefs after the bruce smith hit and then he was out of the league entirely by age 38. tom brady won four super bowls after the age Montana's body broke down. Correct. You know, Montana's had like 25 or 30 post-career surgeries. And so how has all of that shaped his post-career life? You know, if you talk to people who spend time around Joe Montana, they will tell you that most of the time he is a really chill guy and, and happy and funny. But there is that other part of him that remains in there. And... You know, the person who every coach wanted to replace. Like, you don't stop being that person. You know, we were having lunch, and just a conversation just sort of like randomly ended up talking about uh, Joe DiMaggio and his bitterness. Joe Montana was very protective of DiMaggio, you know, basically saying, like, it's hard to let things go. He was sitting there, and, you know, he was basically, look, you know, I should have never had to leave. We were stacked. You know, when I got injured, we were in the NFC Championship game and we were winning and going to, a, you know, trying to win our third straight Super Bowl. 
And he kind of smiled sitting there with me and was like, you know, we, we could have won two or three more Super Bowls, which of course uh, <laughs> would have been seven, which would have tied him with Tom. And, you know, I asked him, like, well, what do you, you know, struggle to, to let go of? You know, and he really just went there. I mean, he, he, we sat there at that table and he talked about the end of his time in San Francisco and he couldn't go into the facility. He was bored to death and alone. He took, he learned to fly while he was injured. And the airport where he would take off from, uh, when he was taking off and landing, he would fly di- directly over the 49ers practice field. So he could look out the window of the airplane and see somebody else quarterbacking his team. Man, yeah. Surveying his former life from literally a 30,000-foot view. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, like, if, if you put that in a in a novel, people would be like, "That's you're such a hack. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, a little on the nose. A little on the nose, really. He's flying above the practice field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little on the nose is exactly right. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, uh, it's almost literary in its sadness. After the break, what Joe Montana really thinks about Tom Brady. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. And so before we get to the Tom Brady part of Joe Montana's story, right, I do think we need to better understand Steve Young's perspective on all of this. And so when you went to talk to Steve about Montana, about the most famous quarterback battle ever, but also just the way that the guy is wired, how helpful was he? I don't know if you've ever read Steve's book, but it is essentially and accidentally a biography of Joe Montana. He had front row seats to this. I mean, he learned what it was to be great from Joe. And I think is now that this is all over, very, very grateful. I was talking to him and he was like, you know, I want to get the right word. I don't want it to be a weird word, but like I feel tenderness. You know, uh, he's thought about this a lot. Well, tenderness implies both like fondness, but also literally sensitivity. I think he knows the price he paid to win one Super Bowl. 
and he had front row seats to see the price that Joe paid to win four. And, you know, he talks about getting to be Wednesday of a game week and uh, Steve Young would start to think, you know, this is it. I'm finally going to get in. He's way too hurt to play. And not only would he play, he'd play well. And so, you know, he had years of this, of just watching this guy just take shot after shot after shot and just keep standing back up and going back on the field. And he has tremendous affection for Joe now just because he understands what it takes. You go into Steve Young's office and he has a number 16 jersey hanging up there, you know? <laughs> when you go to the office, though, when you walk into Steve Young's office, what's the question you wanted to ask him about all of this? I, I wanted to know... Because, you know, he's around the modern NFL in a way that, you know, a lot of these guys aren't. And I was just curious if Tom Brady knows that he's in Joe's head a little. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, what Steve said is, you know, everybody who traffics in this space knows what's going on. I find it deeply human that, of course, Montana cares. You'd care. I'd care. You know? Of course. Like, What kind of Zen master do you have to be to not care? But I also just want to clarify what kind of caring that Joe is doing here, because it feels like it's not just, you know, resentment that his legacy has been eclipsed by Tom Brady. It is something deeper, like a longing for something. You know, sometimes Jennifer worries that he thinks the best part of his life is over. And, you know, I don't think he thinks that, but it's a longing for a way of being in the world. You know, I mean, Joe is very much a collector of moments. You know, this is a guy who, you know, loves to travel and loves to go and loves to keep moving and chase those moments. I really don't think he's jealous of the rings. I think he's jealous of the opportunity to win them and the feeling of it. These guys struggle with it. You know, Mickey Mantle used to go sit in his car when it was raining because the water hitting the roof sounded like applause. There's that great story of Marilyn Monroe and a retired Joe DiMaggio on their honeymoon. They were in Japan on their honeymoon, and Marilyn Monroe gets asked if she would go speak to the troops in Korea. So she pops over for a day and, and does it and comes back, and they're sitting at a table, and you know she just is overwhelmed by the experience, and she's gushing, and she says, Joe, you've never heard such cheering. And Joe just said, yes, I have. It's just one of the most iconically bitter lies in all of sports history. Uh, it truly is. And it brings us to the much younger man, younger also than Steve Young, who has spent the last two decades breaking all of Montana Super Bowl records, right? And so what did you ask Joe directly about Tom Brady? Does it bug you? And he said, not really. And then there was a pause and he thought about it. And he said, I wish... And it just sort of hung out there. Well, well, this is where this gets personal for both parties in this. Because for people who are not aware, Tom Brady was a season ticket holder. right? His family, rather, little Tommy, was in a family of season ticket holders. They went to Niners games. Joe Montana was his guy. Number 16 was the number that he worshipped. And the idea that that kid became the guy who eclipsed his idol. How does he perceive that depth of history? His friends will tell you there seems to be something specifically about Brady that annoys him or gets under his skin. I think there are probably lots of things that could be. Honestly, I think it's they're probably really similar. You know, 
They see each other very clearly, probably. Montana retired the year that Brady started in Michigan. Brady's first ever NFL snap came in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame preseason game on the weekend when Joe Montana was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and Montana watched that game from the sideline. A little on the nose. A little on the nose. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, he invited Brady over to his house where, you know, the Nick and Nate Montana remember. The main thing they remember from that visit is uh, they had Brady be the timekeeper to see which of the Montana boys could hold their breath underwater longer. There was a something of a relationship there that at some point feels like it got fractured. And when do you think this fracturing happened? You know, the fourth Super Bowl, the fifth one, the sixth one, the seventh one. I mean, it was very clear that Brady was trying to be the best ever. And that put him in direct competition with everyone who'd ever played it, but specifically his boyhood hero. I mean, it's all, dude, this whole thing is almost Shakespearean. I mean, it, it is. on the nose is the perfect way to describe it. They will always be connected. But the other thing about this is that they intersect not just their paths as like actual human beings, but also their storylines. I mean, the whole notion of Joe Montana being disrespected by management is also something that Tom Brady obviously has acutely felt as he became who we now know him to be. I bet Joe has more sympathy for Tom and his situation with Bill Belichick than maybe anyone in the world because he gets it. You know, he probably gets it more than Brady. Brady and Montana are... internally motivated by very similar things. It feels like at least part of the reason why Brady seems to get under Joe's skin a little is that they're so similar. Well, what you're suggesting here is that the scorekeeping, the endless measuring, the comparing, the debating, it it just never stops. Even, by the way, and actually especially inside the most exclusive clubs in sports. Walmart years ago uh, paid... Johnny Unitas, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, and John Elway to do an event. And then the, all those guys went out to dinner. You know, they were laughing, having a great time. The check comes, and uh, Joe uh, says, well, you know, whoever has the fewest rings should pay. So, you know, Joe's got four. <laughs> Elway's got two. Uh, Unitas has one Super Bowl ring, but three NFL championship rings, which at this table counts as four. Joe's like, hey, how many you got, Dad? And you know, Dan curses at him, uh, <laughs> uh, reaches for the check. You know, it's a joke, but it also isn't, you know? No, there is raw truth inside of that joke. And, and the truth is that a big part of being the greatest, by definition, is making everybody else feel lesser. And so at the end here, right, as Tom Brady himself has just retired and Patrick Mahomes is playing in this Super Bowl and coming for everything that Brady and Montana both hold dear, how much does all of this, the the sheer passage of time, how much does it weigh on a guy like this? I mean, you spent a lot of time hanging out with Joe Montana. How tender, how sensitive is he in the present? I think the end in San Francisco was super sensitive. I think watching Tom Brady win all these titles, uh, it really hits him in a sensitive place, both because he'd like to be out there doing it and because the changes in the game are partially what allowed Brady's longevity. And I think that doesn't sit great. All of these guys, man, are, they have a lifetime of work to do when they step off the stage. These people who who shine this brightly. 
And some guys do it. Some guys don't ever start to do it. Some guys try and fail. One of the things that was most interesting to me about spending time around Joe Montana was to watch someone who has been on that journey for 30 years now and is on an arc of improvement. You know what I mean? Like he's done the work on himself. He was the very best to ever do a thing and had to stop doing it and didn't let it just wreck him like it wrecked so many other people. You know, he's got these two grandbabies and, you know, the, the oldest one they call Lil Boo. And, you know, she's hilarious. And Joe takes her to swim lessons. I just love the image of they have this like fancy swim club near their house in San Francisco. And it's all these kids with their moms and then, you know, one uh, retired quarterback splashing around in the pool with a bunch of kids. His wife, Jennifer, who pulls no punches when talking about him, says he's happier than he's ever been. It's almost a story that's written for Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Joe Burrow and these people who want this thing. And it just felt like his life, if if these other guys would pay attention, is such a roadmap for a way to come out of the mania of this thing with the most important things to you basically intact. Right, Thompson. I just want you to know that your legacy is, yeah, safe with us. Thanks for doing this. It's great, man. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.